to um, read from Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And this is one that everybody reads. It's, you know, it's like you go to marriages and they sort of read about love. Corinthians 13, love is this and love is that. And you go, that's cool, but how does it really get in here as a lifestyle? That's what we're about. So... Verse 22 from chapter 12 of Luke. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Are you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Lord, these words are to us beautiful, powerful, wonderful, but we all confess before you, it's not how we live yet. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us understand that you were not just writing a book, you weren't just giving a speech, you were giving us clues as to how to live. And so we pray that you would Touch our hearts, our minds, our lives this morning with your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were talking about uh, not only is this world God's world, but that there are are these two realities, the world that is light and the world that is dark. They are symbols of the light, which is the presence of God. Dark is the presence of evil and fallenness. This world is darkness because of rebellion. And uh, Jesus came into this world as light to reclaim what was God's. I gave you an illustration of buying guitars that were stolen at St. Albans years ago. And I still have the books that prove that my ownership of those books. And those, those, those documents are that I could show to somebody and say those actually are mine, even if the person who has those guitars right now doesn't realize they're stolen. And the point we're making is that it's all God's, whether we realize it or not, because we are ignorant and we're blind and we're deaf. 
And God has authority and he says, I'm not relinquishing this world. It is not yours. And, and so the, 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 the contrast between God's world and my world is mine. The mine is, is, is the symbol of the kingdom of darkness. Mine, mine, mine. My life, my possessions, my time, my this, my that. The symbol of God's world is praise be to you that you have given me this gift and it is all yours. How do you want me to use it? And that's how we're all learning about what does it mean to live like that. Jesus, when he spoke, you remember, did you hear his word? He said, the pagan world lives like that. Well, it's more than the pagan world, isn't it? We are deeply, deeply entrenched in materialism and in, we need all these things to show we're secure or we have status or we have, we've made it in our life, all of that stuff. We're deeply, deeply polluted by that. Again, that's not to beat us up, but it is to convict us and say, yeah, I am. And Jesus walks into that and says, the only thing that's going to set you free is relationship. Not information, relationship. And so the kingdom of light is the kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating and he was calling it the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth. Wherever individuals are aware of the right way of life, in other words, they turn life the right way up, they begin to see life in the light of the kingdom. In other words, God's perspective. And the hallmarks of the kingdom of darkness are insecurity, fear, their um, possessiveness, mindness. The hallmarks of the kingdom of heaven are freedom, generosity, openness, peace beyond understanding, generosity that's amazing, trust in God that's astounding, and the power of God present to heal that is remarkable. We start walking into these truths and we will be building a facility in Port Alberni. I promise you. The world is hungry. It's just sick of religion. And so are we, actually. So we are the answer to the cry of our hearts for growth. We are the answer to the cry of our hearts for the Lord to do something. And he says, yes. It's a very exciting picture that will scare you to death. Or to life, actually. So we have these two, and some people go, you know, there's a sense of, John, you're always talking about the promised land in Egypt. I am deeply convicted that, that the only reason God called me back into ministry, apart of demonstrating grace and mercy, is that that's what I have to speak to and grow into and live. My mandate, I believe, is to talk about the promised land until I die. So it's not a theme for one week. Because the promised land is Jesus, Lord, and the kingdom on earth. That's what it is. In practice, not in theory. And Egypt is the slaves and the slave drivers. And our mandate, the picture that came, and, and I'll, I'll remind us of it, at the beginning of Jericho Road, was you can either, and God's, I don't get lots of these, or I didn't, and it's sort of hopefully increasing, but... There was a very clear word and picture to me. You can either be a church that breaks bread in Egypt or you can be a church that breaks bread in the promised land. It was very, very clear. There are layers of meaning in that. In Egypt, the church is slavery, it's bondage, it's depression, it's offensiveness, it's abuse, it's control. In the promised land, it's faith, it's victory, it's eating of the fruit and possessing the land. The mandate of this church is a journey. It's why it's called Jericho Road. 
It's a journey that we're either involved in or you drop out. It's, it's really quite simple at that. And, and Psalm 84 says, Blessed are those whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And the valley of Bacar is actually an awful place. It's a very depressing place. And he said, I will give water in the valley of Bacar. I will give water. Twenty years ago, I walked through Port Alberni and said, Oh God, what am I doing here? So I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> um, and, and, it was, and the word that sort of came was, uh, the word that was spoken was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And it's always sat in the back of my mind, as, Lord, what is that about? This unlikely place that is not a tourist destination. Maybe you can do something here that, it's kind of typical, but we're invited into something. And I'm going to speak this morning um, to lead us into something, but I'm, I'm speaking... Um, to say there's a wonderful opportunities and promise but it's entirely dependent upon us as to whether we walk into it I don't think and I cannot comprehend that God's purpose in Jesus was to lead us to live our lives saying sorry I cannot believe that God's whole purpose for creation was to lead us to a place where all we do is walk around saying sorry. In other words, feeling guilty and going, forgive me for my sins. I mean, what kind of parent would ever do that? The relationship I want with you is one where all you do is have an identity crisis and look at how terrible you are and how you don't measure up and how you just go, sorry. God doesn't want that. God's not about saying, here I am, I'm just going to convict you of guilt. The purpose of him convicting of guilt, of sin, is to say, I want to set you free from it, stupid. The purpose of Jesus going to the cross, rising from the dead, is that your life and your joy might be full. Sorry is the gateway to life. Religion and, the, and quite frankly Satan in the church has, has pulled that right back to say, you can say sorry for the rest of your life because actually I'm not threatened by that. Evil is not threatened by that at all as long as you don't do anything. And so God's purpose is that we would know our frailty in order that we would know his strength. So... The repentance, the changing of mind, is the doorway to life. It's the beginning of the Christian life. It's not the end. And so life with God is a journey. It's a process. It involves letting go and taking hold of. All the time. Letting go and taking hold of. And sometimes we say to one another, well, it's difficult. Yeah. So? That's why Jesus came. to do in us what is impossible as Karen you know, shared with us. Take, letting go of the world of mine and to, taking hold of light and truth, heaven on earth, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, power. All of those hallmarks of Jesus in us to be released in the world. 
We live far too long as people who suffer our stuff. You know, bear my cross, carry your cross, that's a heresy. Jesus didn't ask you to carry a cross. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, I've given you this cross to bear the suffering. Paul says, yes, I have a thorn in the flesh. But this theology of carrying your cross, suffering because it's the will of God, is, is no polite word to refute it. When the Christian church, if you study theology and Christian history, what happened in the Christian church was the further they got away from the miraculous powers of God and believing in the power of the Holy Spirit, they developed a theology to justify the lack of the presence of God in their midst. And the theology of suffering in the Western church is a heresy. And it comes out of a powerless gospel and a powerless understanding of God. It was a... Uh, I want to go back to the, the, the um, word in Deuteronomy, which is Moses speaking to the people. In Deuteronomy 1. Jo- Moses is gathered there. They've already wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Because... Um, Forty years ago, Moses had stood in a, in a place like this and said to them, this is what God has for us. <coughs> Promised land is over there. We're going to send some people out just to check it out and then they're going to come back and we're going to go in. Because he's the God who set us free from Egypt. He's the God that's kept us over this distance to the Promised land. And uh, so, cool. Forty days later, the people come back and ten of them say, it's a, I mean, it's an inc- you should see this place, it's incredible. But there are these guys living there that are huge. And we look like grasshoppers and they look like giants. And uh, you know, we've brought you some grapes and some pomegranates and some other things. I mean, it's fruitful. But there are people living there. They're, it's all occupied land. And Joshua and Caleb said, God has already promised us that land. Let's go. And the rest of them said, no, 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 no it doesn't feel right. I mean, it looks scary. And so I'm amazed that Joshua and Caleb and Moses could even tolerate the fact that they wandered for 40 years while the whole generation of leaders, except Joshua and Caleb and Moses, died. And God said, now you will go into that land that I promised to your forefathers and Joshua will lead you and Joshua's name is Jesus. And what does that tell you? That tells you that God will not force their shoes and God will not, you know, he will have another time. There are windows and then there are no windows. This church has a window right now. What does it mean? It means that every single individual one of us is responsible for where we're going. It's just the way it is. It's not a cruise ship where one person is responsible. It's all of us are responsible. And so Moses began to recount to them the history of what had happened, which they knew already. But I believe this is the word of the Lord for us as well. And the word is this, and he says, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. You have stayed long, we have stayed long enough in a place of healing and restoration. We've stayed long enough in a place of gathering together. I believe God is saying to us, it's time to break camp. It's time to start moving out and to do some stuff out there. And in order to do that, you and I are going to have to press into places we haven't been before.
And if all we do is play the tapes of the same old, same old, just understand that those tapes are rebellion and disobedience. They're not, oh, there's a special clause for you. There's no special clause because God is great enough for you. It is about disobedience and willfulness. And one of the things that the kingdom of heaven exposes is our hearts. And if you're like me, when that light starts shining too close, it starts embarrassing me because there is rebellion in me. All I need to do is actually deal with that rebellion by confessing it and saying, yeah, Lord, help me to come in alignment. Go and talk to somebody. You'll be surprised how obvious it is, by the way. <laughs> Most people know where we are before we confess it. And then we say, well, don't make me feel guilty, John. I'm not making you feel guilty. That's God and his spirit. I'm just not going to let you feel complacent when you shouldn't be complacent. We said we were on a journey together as a church, and we all said we're going to be part of it, so this is, this is it. It's cool to be the church that camps by the mountain, healing and saying, isn't it nice to be a community again? That's important. But there's now the rallying cry that says, okay, we're moving. And the adventure continues. This is meant to be fun. You're meant to be smiling and going, wow, man, where are we going now? Right? We're so sick, we're going, oh man, I'm going to leave my little plot of plant and this, blah, 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 blah. you know, lighten up. This is actually a cool adventure, right? Your life isn't that great. Where you've been squatting for however many years, isn't that beautiful? There's more. The promised land is better and nicer. And if you don't know it, get somebody to tell you. They'll probably tell you. It's time for you to go and take possession of the land. And I promise you too that just with the people of Israel, what's going to happen? Everywhere God says, this is what I give you, there are two visions. There are two things happening in each one of us probably right now. The one is darkness, the one is light. The one is fear, the other is hope and excitement. Which are you going to go to? Just because there are foreigners, just because there are giants, just because there are things that scare you. So what? I mean, aren't you tired? I think that was a word. I wish Karen was here. I think that was a word of God to encourage. I think some of us have lived with giants for 60 years. And he says, I can overcome that with a noodle and some water. <laughs> and you're using it as an excuse. I'm not talking about Karen now, but we use this as an excuse. We just say, well, that's the way I am. That's my personality. It's not. It's heresy. It's unbelief. It's chicken. It's all that stuff. And we know it. And you know it. I think you actually like me telling you that, right? <laughs> you secretly delight in me telling you that you're just chicken and there's more to life. You can be a turkey. We're going into the promised land. It's time to break camp. It's trying to do something else. And, God, and Moses says, I can't do this. These people, I mean, they all complain. They're too much of a burden. He says, I will do it. You, you get a team of people and you work with it together. And that's what he said. And that's what they did. If you read in Numbers, I think it's 11, the Holy Spirit was given to those people. said, you will walk alongside Moses and you will be part of the possession into the promised land and giving leadership and setting the tone for what you're going to do. There's a picture that we had uh, at, the, at the, the prayer time on Wednesday and it was of you know, this eagle soaring 
I might have said, well, actually it was two weeks ago because I talked about it. And it's just stayed with me and it's, uh, hey, hey, there's a slide. There's a slide right there. That one. There you go. See? Amazing. An eagle soaring. But before the eagle can soar, it's perched. Right? Uh, the bottom left is basically the church. It's kind of like, uh, it's basically the church. Claws on the perch, checking everything out. It is impossible to soar until you jump. And you know what? No eagle. Actually, you know, there's another word for the church. There's not a picture there, but you know what it is? It's stupid. There's a picture, Lord's got a sense of humor, of an eagle perched on a branch with his arms out, pretending to soar. That's the church. Well, we're doing it. Isn't that pathetic? I mean, why are you laughing? Look in the mirror. <laughs> eh? Yeah, let's laugh at the eagles instead. It's easier. You have to jump. And then you have to flap your wings. Which He said that to Gideon. He said, Gideon, start in the strength you have and then see what happens. So he said to Moses, Moses says, I can't lead. I've been with sheep and goats for 40 years. And I'm chicken of Pharaoh. I mean, look what happened last time. They want to kill me. I'm wanted for murder down there. About the only person in scripture who said they could really do it was Peter. <laughs> and look what happened to him. He ended up wet before the Lord going, oh shit. To put it bluntly. He was a fisherman. He probably did worse than that. Sorry, Dave. I mean, <laughs> that's all right. Good to be back. Thank you. In the real world. Oh, I wish I was so clean. <laughs> we have to jump, and jumping is, is a bit scary, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, some of you probably could tell us stories about the zip line at Rockridge, and that's terrible. I mean, I would be terrified of that, but you know. You then pretend it was fun, right? But uh, it's all those things. That's what God is calling us to. If you actually want the passion of Jesus alive in you, jump off some things that you've been sitting on. Claws are really difficult to untangle. I mean, un when an eagle gets a grip, you know some of them won't even let go of the fish, and they drown. And our will is the claw. And we have a choice to either perch or to soar. And God's vision for the church is soaring. And there was another picture that was a, was a fishing boat and there was lots of tackle in the fishing boat and nets and, 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 and rods and things. And we were, we, we were going up and down in the water saying, Lord, please help us catch fish. Please help us catch fish. And all the tackle was inside the boat. And it just seemed he was saying, well, I'd love to help you, but I've given you the resources. Use it. And when you use the resources and get the nets out, I can fill it with other stuff, but use what you already have. You won't sideline the fear factor in the process of God. It is part of building faith. You can't have it. You can't ignore it. And there's some good news as well. I mean, God never intended the church to be a place that was a theme park. 
where we visit and, and, and speculate about the wonders of him. It's meant to be a place where we journey together into the experiences of the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews 11.6 says, uh, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And the good news is that, as somebody said that I was listening to recently, performance is never rewarded by God. Performance is never rewarded by God. Relationship is what he's after. He's not asking us to do anything well on his behalf. He's asking us to be servants for him, empowered by his spirit, doing what we cannot do without him. And so our choice is, what are we going to do? Are we going to perch or are we going to soar? We talked last week about the kingdom of darkness being all that is tangible, money and power and status and positions. All the stuff, I don't have to go through it with you. In Luke 12 that we read earlier, Jesus draws the contrast between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light when he says, don't worry. In, in the world of darkness, worry is one of the predominating themes. Because you're trying to stop people from stealing, you're trying to stop everything, you're trying to hold everything you have. It's all about worry. Worry about my future, worry about my life, worry about my success or lack thereof. Worry about what you think of me. Just worry is everywhere. It's a demonic force. And Jesus says, why don't you allow trust to be the hallmark of your life? And so you say, oh, cross my fingers and trust. He says, no, you don't tr cross your fingers and trust. What you do is you keep relationship with the one who is trustworthy. The children, every child out there is most feeling secure when they're in the arms of their parent, if the parent is any use, if the parent is loving and kind. The child is most secure in the presence of the father and mother. And God says, I never, ever designed you as a human being to be without parents. I didn't design orphans. I didn't wind you up and say, live, hope you make it, see you on the other side. I have designed you to be parented. That's why the cry of our hearts is love, value, worth, purpose, all of that stuff. The cry of, all the cries of our hearts have got nothing to do with materialism. They have to do with self-esteem and love and kindness and joy and peace and patience and kind, all that stuff. They're all the intangibles because they're only accessed through the Spirit of God. The religious leaders clutch to power and tradition. Jesus says, don't worry, you are of great value. He says that if you look through, if you look through that passage that we read, if you go a little bit earlier, he's, I mean in verse 7 he says, Indeed the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid, you're worth more than sparrows. I mean isn't that a crazy message? God told me today to say you're, you're more important than birds. But he is saying that. He's saying you are of, of great value. And then he says in verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you. He'll teach you what to say and how to behave. The rich young fool, what's that parable about? The rich young fool is about, I'm grabbing all I can for my security and then I will be happy. Well, the rich young fool is not that far away from where I live. The rich young fool is anyone who says, well, I'm not quite ready yet. I've got to finish my job. I've got to finish this. When I'm done with this, then God can. 
That's the classic phrase. It sounds so respectable. It's just unbelief and selfishness. Now is when it is. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he goes on, life is more than food, the body more than clothes. How much more valuable you are than birds. When we look at the, 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 the flowers of the field, as it were, how much more will he clothe you? Seek first his kingdom and these things will be given. And some of us, I think, believe that we're going to learn this without being tested. I mean, how do you learn that God is faithful unless you are in a position where I hope he is, otherwise I'm dead? Sometimes we think God doesn't want us to be uncomfortable. Well, he does, if that's what it takes. So we need to be saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you teaching me here? And what are you wanting to be let go of so that I can take hold of something else? If you want your Christian life to take off, then do that. Start taking seriously what's going on inside you and listen to it and respond to it. And test God. Share it with other people. Don't be private because that is also demonic. It's darkness hides, light exposes. There is nothing that you experience or struggle with that other people don't. So be encouraged. Thirty-one, seek his kingdom, these things will be given to you as well. Thirty-two, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the presence of God and the life of God and the power of God and the resources of God. For now. As we finish, Matthew 16. The tension in here is tangible, isn't it? The excitement, anticipation. I know what will make you excited. I know what's going to get you on edge. I'm taking you there in a few minutes. <laughs> I know what will get you absolutely sitting on the edge of your... F- t- but you know what? It's also hugely challenging for me, so I'm putting it off. John... Um, That's got you curious, hasn't it? Matthew 16. Jesus is saying saying to them, you've heard this time many times, who do you say that I am? Who do people say? And of course it's easier to say what other people say, so they all chip in with that. And then he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And the great guy, Simon Peter, I love that guy because he jumped all the time and sometimes he forgot to flap his wings (laughs) Um, he just was a mess sometimes but boy he grew and he says you are the Christ the son of the living God and the last thing Peter was doing and God was doing through those words was establishing a Catholic church he was establishing a mandate that says that is the key to the kingdom And he said, upon that statement, on that profession, I will build my church. That Jesus is Lord, the Son and the King and the living God. 
And in his name is power, his name is presence, his name, the kingdom, is present on earth. Just as when he walked and he healed, he was demonstrating the values of the kingdom. The values of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom to overcome darkness. And that's why he said, you will be lights of the world. We talked about that last week. He said, I am the light of the world. And then he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Now go and be light and salt. And he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I just want to read you an excerpt from somebody who was teaching on this that I rather liked their their turn of phrase about the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to talk about this next week, more about the keys of the kingdom. But Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. In other words, we can unlock the door to the resources of heaven to get whatever we need whenever we need it. This is an amazing privilege. I oversee several ministry responsibilities which require that I have several different keys to access needed rooms and resources. There are several people on my leadership team who need to have the same access as I do. There was a time, however, when I was the only one with the keys. Each time one of my team needed to access a room, he or she had to come and borrow the keys and afterwards would bring them back to me. Sometimes he or she would forget and I would have to go out of my way to track him or her down when I needed to access something. It got to be such a hassle trying to juggle one set of keys between our entire team that I finally wised up and got them their own keys. Jesus did not say, I will lend you the keys. Jesus gave us the keys, meaning he no longer has them. It is now up to us to open heaven so that his presence and power can be released through the opening we have made for him to come. Jesus gives, we have to receive and appropriate. What he gave was a revelation of his identity and he won that opening through the cross and the resurrection. How often do we hear Christians pleading with God to open up the heavens and rain down his power to intervene when all along God is pleading with us to use the keys we have been given to release his rules so that intervention can come. We cannot expect God to do what we are expected to do in the partnership. When we do what is expected of us to unlock heaven and he faithfully does his part, it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Do we understand what he's saying? He's just saying that Jesus has done this. He's given us the keys. He's given us the revelation. Now he says, use it. And our biggest fear is if I use it, will anything take place? And you're stuck there until somebody moves. Often as I begin a conference, I announce there will be many miracles and healings. The reason I'm so confident is that I've been given the kingdom keys to unlock heaven in order to access the resources needed. In reality, when I pray, he comes, and when he comes, he does good things, because he is, he is a good God in a good mood. The natural question then is, if we have authority and power to represent and bring God's kingdom to earth, why don't we see more breakthroughs in the miraculous? Many Christians wrongfully believe that God just sovereignly intervenes in our lives whenever he chooses or does not. The response is, well, I guess it was just God's will that I remain sick, debilitated or dying. As a result, many Christians do not pursue divine intervention or they stop short of getting breakthrough they desire. Many Christians believe that God chooses or predetermines who will be healed and who will not be healed. 
They state that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything, and therefore nothing happens outside his predestined will. Therefore, if someone becomes sick, it must be God's will, because nothing happens outside of his sovereign control. As a result, the prayer, your will be done, is a concession to accept whatever God has sovereignly predestined, instead of a declaration on earth as in heaven. Understand what that's saying. It's merely saying, well, if God wants it, he will do it. And what this guy's saying, and what Jesus actually said was, I declare the kingdom on earth as in heaven. God's will being done on earth as in heaven. We'll talk about that next week. People all around us are waiting for heaven to come to earth. And God is waiting for us to be open to bring it. What does that mean? It means that we're invited to share in what God has won. The promised land is here right now. The promised land is where there are resources. It's like you go to Africa, to, to Pat's place, and you come as an American or a Canadian. The, the, the immediate response is you have money, you have resources, you have stuff to help us. There's no doubt about that. So they ask. Well, they pick a pocket if you won't give it to them. So, does it make sense to you? So it means that you can actually go and pray over people. What we have to do is learn. You have to embed these, these teachings so that you know what you're doing. And that just gives you a sense of greater authority. So what is it like for us to keep on expecting the kingdom to be present here? I mean, I'm referring to Karen because she spoke up, but how many of us are sitting here with things that are going on in our lives where we're just um, suffering? Or we're tolerating? Or we've given up hoping? And the issue actually is fear because we're afraid to reveal it And when we reveal it, the people we talk to are terrified of responding. So we counsel each other on how to live with that fear for the rest of our lives and still worship Jesus. Don't we? I bet you if I go around here, many of us are in that position. I tolerate my stuff and I worship Jesus anyway and we just go on. And that's why we don't live excited lives. I'm not accusing. I mean, this is this is really good news. And then we work out theologies for poverty. And then all I have to do is say, well, here's a DVD that'll show you that God is good, and here's a book for you to read. And that's all I can give you is stuff, information. And then eventually maybe your mind changes and you can at least consider the possibility of God. So you say, yes, I believe. And you become a Christian. But there's still no power. There's still no passion. And after six weeks, it's kind of back to normal. But now I sort of believe in God, so my guilt increases there. I can't even play golf without, you know. (laughs) I mean, it's miserable. I had a great game of golf with Wayne. Actually, it was awful. But, um, so, what happens if God wants to work among us right now? What happens if God has things for us right now? What happens if he got your number right now and he sees you and he wants to call you out and say, I love you. I told you I'd get you on the edge of your seat. So, what happens? If, if, if the kingdom is here right now and God says, John, it's really cool for you to just sit up and talk the theory. But now what are you going to do? 
I want five volunteers to come and stand with me here right now, please. I'm not going to embarrass you. Actually, I, I, I really promise you that. You will not be embarrassed. But I want five volunteers to come and stand here. I need a pen. No, you're going to face me. It's got nothing to do with them right now. I'm going to... Um, Oh, yeah, I've got a pen here. Thank you. Okay, David, you're up. You're stuck. You're a volunteer. Uh, all right. What I'm, what I'm uh, going to do um, is, and, and what I'm doing is covering my own sort of fear. So I thought I'd have other people here as well. So uh, instead of me being, what I'm going to do is this. Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to humor us. And I thank you <laughs> that you want us to know your presence. So I pray that you will just use us now in the way we play this game and see what happens. Amen. So are you guys willing to jump? Are you willing to take some risks? I mean, you have the easy part because you don't have to do anything in one sense other than pray and... No, you're not... No, no. What I'm going to... I want you to... Um, I, I learned this from somewhere and, and as I was driving in here and Cheryl was talking all the time so I couldn't get a word in <laughs> which you know is not true. <laughs> Um, I, I, I said, Lord, how are we going to do this? And he said, why don't you call people up? And so you're, you've got an assignment. And, and what you're going to do is I'm going to ask you, um, imagine, I want you to, to think of one condition that you think, if I was saying to you, call out a condition of somebody in this room that uh, it, it, it might be here. I want you to just go in. I, we're playing a game now because if I ask you to have a word of knowledge, you won't know what to do. So we're going to play a game and it's the same thing, but I'm tricking you, you see. Um, so what I want you to do is just take the first thing that comes to mind of a condition that Jesus might want to, to meet in this room and tell me what it is. Thank you. Eyesight. Anything else in that? Uh, problems with eyesight. Problems with eyesight. Okay. Fear of what other people think. Fear of what people think. Isn't this this is easy, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, just wait a minute. Timidity. Love of self. Oh, I'm not going to f- confess to that one. <laughs> Pride. Uh, like success. Addiction to success. Or Performance anxiety? <laughs> That's another way. Of <laughs> fear of what other people think when you perform. It's performance anxiety. Okay, you can all sit down. Thank you. Thank you. Where's the picture? Gene, you're sleeping at the wheel. Or at the, at the, at the, at the mouse. Okay, thank you. That wasn't hard, was it? All words of knowledge and you didn't know it. Okay, what we're going to do, whoops, is we're going to... Let's sing a song, because when we don't know what to do, we sing a song. (laughs) No, we're going to sing a song just so you can stretch, and then we're going to have a time of prayer and ministry. And we're going to speak some of this into the community. What we're going to do in the song, the song is about the power of God's love. I'm absolutely convinced, I'm sure you are, that God wants more for you than just guilt, trips and misery. Or suffering Christianity 
without any experience. The way that we are going to be set on fire is to have an increase of experience of God's presence, of God's power in our lives. So, the only way we're going to experience God's presence is if we start experiencing it, right? Thank you. So, we're going to sing a song, The Power of Your Love, and then we're going to... uh, pray together and we're going to have some fun with Jesus because he is actually here and he's really tired of sitting in the corners.